Welcome to the Trad Dads Podcast, where we examine cultural and political issues through the lens of traditional thought. This week, I want to talk about cars, specifically the economic, financial, uh, and and other uh, sort of aspects of cars. Obviously, not anything to do with repairs or anything like that, but... Um, so a little backstory for me. So I'm, I've always been very interested in cars as a little kid. I had, um, you know, I'd get a hot rod magazine and, um, you know, unfortunately my dad passed when I was really young. And so I never really got to, you know, grow up wrenching on stuff. Um, like I probably would have if he had, uh, if he had made it. But, um, uh, recently I, uh, kind of made a bold move and traded my, uh, late model car in for a, a rather old truck that I was uh, kind of fixing up and spent quite a bit of money just kind of fixing it up and getting it running well. And, you know, it, it was kind of fun to just learn uh, kind of how to do basic maintenance and, and also bigger maintenance items. But it got me thinking recently about some of the things that uh, I think people pick up and, and some of the sort of financial myths and stuff um, that are kind of floating around out there about cars. And uh, so I, I thought I would just sort of collect a bunch of things together and, and kind of put them all together. The other, the other experience that I've had um, is I also sold cars for a while when I was in college. So I kind of understand uh, that component of it too, uh, just from a business perspective. So the first thing I want to, um, talk about is the, the, the uh, 10 year old program, uh, that, that lasted just a, a few short weeks, I think called cash for clunkers. And this was a program in 2010, I believe that, um, basically if you had a vehicle that had quote unquote bad gas mileage, um, you could turn it in through this program for uh, $4,500 towards the purchase of a vehicle with good gas mileage. Uh, and I'll put a, a little short article up that summarizes the findings of, a, of an economics journal article. Um, but basically what this program did is it basically made these vehicles inoperable. And of course it was you know, designed to be some kind of uh, environmental thing. But uh, all it really did was trade in a bunch of uh, cars that were basically uh, definitely not worth $4,500 <laughs> and um, turn them in a, a little bit earlier and then get a, get a bunch of people to buy a bunch of cheap uh, little high gas mileage cars. And it really didn't work very well uh, in terms of its you know overall goal. Um, th this article has some... Uh, some interesting um, data on as far as like environmental impacts and stuff. And it was pretty modest, but you know, part of the thing was that it was supposed to kind of goose, uh, I guess it was 2009, but anyway, it was supposed to sort of help out the Detroit automakers. And uh, you know, of course, I mean, a lot of the, the quote unquote foreign cars um, that, um, you know, that are owned by other you know, companies in other countries, there's, you know, a lot of them are manufactured here in the U S and, and in Canada and stuff. But, but as far as being a boon to the actual, you know, the Detroit automakers, GM, Ford and Chrysler, 
it really didn't do much for them uh, because a lot of them weren't making these super high efficient cars at that time as, as much as they are now. Um, and so it was just kind of a funny little program and, and, you know, it's like, and so predictably too, you know, for a while there, um, for a couple of years, actually it, it pushed up the price of used cars just because it took so many, you know, tens of thousands of cars off of the market, um, all at once. And that just pushed prices up. Uh, so it's just, uh, those is kind of, I think maybe one of the more obvious boondoggles, um, in, in the car industry. And, and, you know, sort of along the emissions side of things. So I want to talk a little bit about emissions equipment in general and talk about um, some of the reasons why we have uh, all of this stuff and, and maybe give you a few pieces of information about uh, kind of what's happening with vehicles because of this emission stuff. So because, um, because of the innovations that we've had, um, especially catalytic converters in the 70s that um, changed some of the more harmful uh, gases into basically just uh, more inert stuff. And because of the computer-controlled uh, engines we have today that are more efficient and, and can be tuned a little bit more effectively for um, emissions, there really isn't a lot left that cars are actually putting into the environment that's really that bad obviously you know if, if you think co2 is um, you know the worst thing in the whole wide world then obviously you've got a problem uh, with cars in general uh, ever at all uh, really with any kind of power generation um, it, that's not uh, totally unsustainable um, from a profitability standpoint like wind but um, you know the, the the real steps towards um, emissions improvement have is, is, is about 30 years old at least. And so what you're getting now uh, is you're getting a reliance on this idea that there are uh, particulate matter, uh, PM 2.5 emissions, that, that that's what they're going after now. And the whole idea behind PM 2.5 emissions is that the, you know, these fine particulate matter gets in your lungs and it, and it harms you, and, and we have so many, you know, we have these statistical deaths saved and stuff like that, and we have, like, this calculation for the value of a human life and stuff like this. And what's really interesting is that, uh, first of all, there was a, uh, a journal article that uh, a, a friend of mine pointed me to that basically showed that the when the EPA is, is picking their models to determine, you know, what, what the effect of you know, this PM 2.5, these particulate matter on human beings. Um, the funny thing is they cherry pick the models that have the highest effects, but they, but they ignore all the models that show that there's not much of an effect. Um, so that's one interesting point. Um, and the other interesting thing is that this, uh, even if you think that the particulate matter is really dangerous, it's really only dangerous for people who are very, very old because, you know, their lungs are just degraded from, you know, being alive for 85 years. Um, and so you're, you're talking about taking six months off of the life of, you know, some 85 to 90 year olds, not, um, eight year olds, right. It's, it's, it's not the same thing. Um, at least, you know, if you have, you have to be sober about this stuff, you can't just say, well, you don't want people to die. Do you? And it's like, well, I mean, you know, were y'all going to be bubble boy? I mean, 
at some point you have to think rationally about this stuff. Um, but, but it makes me think of the recent, uh, well, not so recent, I guess now, but, um, the, the, the Volkswagen issue, right? So Volkswagen had, um, you know, they've had diesel cars in the U S for a long time. And of course, diesel cars in Europe are a lot more common, but, uh, because their, their emissions, uh, their emissions laws are a lot different than ours. They're not necessarily more stringent or whatever, but they're, they're just different. And theirs are more amenable to diesel vehicles than ours are. And so, uh, you know, you have Volkswagen putting out their diesel vehicles here in the U S and what we find out is that VW had put a little, um, kind of a, a defeat mechanism in their computer so that the car knew when it was hooked up to these, one of these emissions testing things, if you live in a big city or if you live in a very dense, uh, densely populated state, you probably have these emissions requirements. Um, and every year you have to go get your emission stuff checked or every three years or something. And what they would do is they would, they could tell when the car was being tested. And so it would like, it would do something to the tuning of the engine to make sure it passed emissions. But then when when the car was off of that um, testing machine and a person was just driving it normally, they would change the tuning of the vehicle so that it got better mileage. And so it was, it was this thing where um, you know, the, the way the vehicle ran to optimize gas mileage was different than the way the vehicle ran to optimize particulate matter, uh, you know, or, or emissions in general, right out of this diesel vehicle. And so they eventually got caught doing this and, you know, there's this huge fine and, you know, everybody in the whole world is just, Oh, Oh my goodness, VW, how unconscionable could you possibly be? And blah, 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 blah. Um, you know, and, and it's just one of these things where I think, well, okay, well, what about the gas mileage part or the, you know, diesel, the diesel mileage part, isn't that important too? doesn't that actually matter how much diesel you're using to get someone to go a certain number of miles? Like, is it all about air quality or isn't it also about, you know, the vehicle, the, the fuel usage. But of course, you know, we're not allowed to say that. Um, so that's emissions equipment. I think the thing, the thing is, is, um, you know, he's, we, we have really gone so far in, um, you know, emissions stuff that, that there's very little more to do. And in, in the things that we're measuring, really aren't that important particulate matter is not uh, particularly dangerous to people uh, it's just not i mean if you live in a super dense city where there's you know buses and trucks going by all the time well yeah uh it's not gonna be good for you i mean it's it's probably dangerous to go for a run at that point but you know don't live in the city um so another interesting thing about this emission stuff is what we have done to the oil that keeps your car's engine uh, lubricated and what's interesting about this is that um, you know, there's this, all these concerns about um, you know how much oil is being used in the engine, and um, you know obviously an engine has a lot of moving metal parts, right? And so when all you know all these metal parts are moving together, you need lubrication to keep the metal from you know one metal part from tearing up another metal part, right? And so back 50 years ago our oil the oil that we put in the engine to lubricate it was thicker and it had certain additives in it that made sure that these metal parts didn't grind on each other right and so as a result you know you, you use this certain types of oil and you know 
potentially it, it improves the longevity of the, the operation of that engine. Well, what we have now is we have manufacturers, vehicle manufacturers that have to fit in these very, very, very strict emission standards. And so what they have done is they have reduced the tolerances on the vehicle. So all of the metal parts are now closer to each other. They're putting more pressure on each other. And the oil that you can run in them is now thinner and has less of these additives that reduce this metal wear. And so we're actually reducing the um, how long these engines can operate uh, because we have uh, got this mindset about uh, you know the type of oil uh, and the you know the, the usage of oil in the engine um, and all of this kind of thing. And so it's it's really interesting to see now that you're seeing uh, so. Uh, Ford's had a real problem with this for a while, and uh, some of the Chrysler engines had a problem with it. Chevy's had a problem with it. I mean, I pulled up next to a Chevy truck the other day, and I, the valve train uh, was so loud. Uh, you know, it was like it was like somebody dropping a, a, a can of marbles over and over and over. Um, and it's all because this oil is so thin, and so it just it it wears these engines out prematurely. And so if you think about that, right? So we've got all this technology in the world. And now these incredibly expensive things are lasting shorter and shorter amounts of time. They're less and less durable. They're less and less, not I wouldn't say necessarily less reliable, but they're more prone to these catastrophic uh, failures because they just, uh, we're not using the right, the right kind of oil. We can't use these additives anymore because, you know, they're not, it's supposedly not, uh, you know, friendly, um, you know, eco-friendly. Um, so, you know, that, that's just sort of a strange sort of thing about, you know, it's like kind of like throwing away the, um, uh, this, this, all of this knowledge about metallurgy and stuff like this. Um, so the next thing I want to talk about is kind of the financial side of this thing. So it's, it's sort of interesting. Um, you know, if you, if you listen to guys like Dave Ramsey or whatever, these financial gurus that are supposed to help people with their sort of personal finances. Uh, so it's very interesting, uh, the discussion you get from them about cars, right? So Ramsey, you know, and, and, and you know, you talk to somebody who's, you know, maybe in the baby boomer generation or uh, maybe a little older than that, you know, they're just going to tell you, well, you know, this is what you do. You, you know, maybe you finance your first car and then you uh, pay it off. And then, you know, maybe you have to finance a little bit of your second car because, um, you know, the first car, um, you know, <clears throat> I mean, I have quite enough saved up to do that second car, um, I, you know, all in cash. And then after that, the, you know, the rest of your vehicles for the rest of your life are just all cash. Um, and so, you know, uh, and, and I would say, you know, maybe the, the Dave Ramsey stuff has its place when people are really bad about managing money, but, but his thing is only pay cash for cars. Um, and so I, uh, it's interesting. There's a couple of things about this that just seem uh, just really weird to me. So first of all, um, you know, the safety technology moves so fast these days that, you know, if you have small children, you know, you want to get the safest thing you can afford. Right. And so 
in some cases, then you're going to be talking about doing some financing. You're not going to just buy, you know, if you, if all you can afford is like, you know, an, a 1978 Yugo, uh, you know, then that's not really going to work if you have like three little kids and you don't want them to die in a car wreck. Right. Um, so financing might be the only way for you to be able to do that and, and get, you know, some of the more upgraded safety equipment. Uh, you know, and of course, I mean, speed limits are, you know, 75, 80 miles an hour and, you know, these days on interstates and stuff. So, I mean, there's really no way around that. Um, so the next thing is, you know, if you're, if you're going to pay cash outright for this car, uh, like Dave Ramsey says, you know, it's probably going to be older. Well, the thing about that is, um, well, there's, there's lots of problems with that, but you know, if that car is older, uh, number one, it's going to need more, um, it's going to need more work done to it. Right. Uh, a lot of the rubber parts are going to wear out. Um, you know, the wear parts of the engine are going to wear out. Uh, and so these, these things that only have to be repaired, you know, maybe, I mean, they're, they're, they're built to wear out, but they only wear out, uh, you know, every 10, 15, 20 years and not every, you know, uh, six months or whatever, like an oil change or every, you know, year and a half or so, like, like a set of brakes or tires. Um, you know, th these, these other things are more expensive and they're much more technically difficult to deal with. And most people don't have number one, the know-how and number two, the tools to be able to do these things. And now you can, I mean, you can, you can go and, you know, accumulate the tools that you need. You can learn online, um, how to do a lot of this stuff, but you know, a lot of people just aren't comfortable with it and so they're going to take it to a shop. But here's the thing shops absolutely hate working on old vehicles because old vehicles are, uh, you know, rusted shut They're they're um, there's more wrong with it. So like, you need tear into this engine to try to fix one thing. And then you find three or four other problems. And then the guy doesn't want to, you know, doesn't want to deal with those problems because he doesn't have the money to pay for it. And it just creates a giant headache for the shop. Right. And so shops don't like, old cars. They don't like working on old vehicles that are, you know, not well maintained and they don't like bringing them up to current maintenance. It's a, it's a, it's a huge pain in the neck. Um, and so, you know, this creates a problem, right? So now you, you've got, um, you've got somebody paying cash for this car and assuming it's safe. Well, the other problem is, you know, they might not be able to afford this maintenance, right? But it needs to be done, right? Because the things that are going to break are like steering components or, um, you know, the, the ball joints on the suspension that hold the wheels, you know, together properly to the car. Um, you know, s crucial components of the engine so that's not using oil uh, all over the place. Um, this is a huge problem from a financial standpoint. And what's really interesting about this is that, and I'll put a link to this, um, Edmonds, um, Edmonds is a car website. They have a really interesting article from November of 2018, uh, talking about used cars, um, and what people are spending on these used cars and the degree to which they are financing them. And so you kind of have this collective action problem where, um, if everybody's financing their cars, then what will tend to happen is, that will increase the price of those cars, right? If you, um, if you, <laughs> if you let someone spread the cost of that, of, of an asset out over time, then they're going to, 
then, then there's going to tend to be upward pressure on the on the uh, the capital uh, value of that asset. Um, and so, especially you get into these sort of low interest rate things, uh, and there's a lot of moving parts on that. Um, but anyway, the the point is when when everyone else is financing cars it's very, very, it becomes much more difficult for you to not finance the car because now a car that would have been maybe 10 to 20% cheaper if everybody was just paying cash, right? It changes the demand, uh, it changes the demand component here. And so, you know, you just think about standard supply and demand, right? You shift the demand curve and the price rises, right? So you can think about that way too. Um, and so, What's interesting is because there are so many people financing vehicles, the prices of these vehicles just keep climbing over time and faster than inflation. And so the thing is, is it's very difficult to get your head around, um, you know, this concept of just paying cash for a car, because if no one else is doing it's not, it's not a matter of, oh, I'm just a lemming and I'm going to do what everyone else does. It's not that it's the fact that because everyone else is, is, is borrowing money, I have no choice because otherwise I wouldn't have transportation, right? Um, or I wouldn't have something that I need, right? Like maybe I need a truck bed or I need four wheel drive because of where I drive or, you know, snow or something like that. So, um, you know, that, that is, uh, that's a serious concern and it's, and it's part of the economics of this thing that don't fit into the sort of financial guru, uh, personal finance guru kind of thing. Um, Another component of that, and maybe this fits in with the old car thing, but what's really interesting is um, when you're on the sales side of cars, there's this break um, that vehicles that are older than 10 years old or um, vehicles that have more than 100,000 miles on them are very, very, very hard to finance through the standard uh, sort of like bigger banks or credit unions and stuff like that, right? They're less... Uh, willing to take a risk on an older car or a car with more than 100,000 miles on it. And so, again, you get into this situation where, you know, people at the lower end of the income spectrum, right, they're more likely to be buying these older cars with a lot of miles on them. And, you know, those cars are still expensive, right? Because when, when sort of debt lifts all the prices of all the cars, it pulls those up too, right? Because it's all kind of relative, right? All the book values and stuff are based on relative mileage, relative age, and stuff like that. And so these cars that are really hard to finance, well, if they're really hard to finance, what do you do? You jack up the interest rate, right? And so that's where we get the situation where the poorest people with the least money, right, they're still forced into using debt to finance a vehicle because there's just no other way for them to be able to afford the vehicle. And then on top of that, they're paying much higher interest rates because of the difficulty for obtaining financing for older cars and cars with greater than a thousand miles on them. Uh, let's see. So I forgot one other thing on the emission stuff. So we have these things called catalytic converters and, uh, you know, they, they have a bunch of, uh, compounds in them with platinum and palladium and all these weird, uh, metals and stuff in them that take some of the more, uh, you know, uh, environmentally unfriendly gases out of the engine and uh, change them into a different form, a different gas. Okay. Well, the thing is that eventually they wear out. And the problem is they're very, very, very expensive. They're an extremely expensive part of the exhaust system. And I mean, you can be, you can be on the hook for, you know, 
uh, upwards of a thousand dollars for these things. And I look at these things as regressive taxes, right? Because these components aren't going to wear out for probably a hundred thousand miles or longer. And of course, people with higher, you know, people, people with, you know, more modest means are typically the people that are going to have these older cars. And so they're paying for, you know, the replacement of these extremely expensive, you know, emissions parts. I mean, and, you know, there's, there's the whole, um, you know, there's the, the emissions components of the fuel system. Uh, they're very expensive too. Uh, and those, uh, they've actually been designed to be expensive, I think. Um, and so again, these are things that are going to be fixed later on in the life of the car. And, you know, okay, yeah, you, you gotta, you gotta build a steering system with rubber, you know, and rubber wears out. So that's just the way it is. But do you have to have all of these emissions things on here that just happen to wear out when, you know, the car is older and people, um, you know, can't afford them. I mean, it seems like a regressive tax. Okay. So a couple last things here. Um, so one, this thing I, I call the Asian quality myth. So it's, it's very interesting. You always get this thing where people say, Oh, you know, I want to buy a Toyota and a Honda because, you know, or, or whatever. Right. Uh, because they're, you know, they're really high quality, blah, 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 blah. And what, what I think is interesting about that is that, okay. Yeah. Most of the time, those brands do better on quality rankings than other brands, European or, or domestic us makers. But the question is how much better are they? Right? So if it's just a ranking and it's not telling you like how much better it is, right? Number two, it's not including the higher cost of repair for those vehicles, right? So those vehicles are more expensive to repair and, um, I mean, Europeans especially, but, um, even the Japanese and, and Korean vehicles are, can be more expensive to repair. And secondly, uh, the prices are higher. So if, uh, you know, you buy a Chevy Cobalt for $15,000 or a Honda Civic for $17,000. Okay. Well, that's $2,000 up front that you paid extra for that Honda for it to last longer. So, you know, you think about, you know, $2,000 over, you know, I don't know how long you got to keep it right. 10 years. $2,000 over 10 years, right? That's a lot of money in repairs, right? Because you're paying for it up front. So, you know, you do the time value money calculations and it's like, well, maybe the quote unquote less reliable Chevy that's cheaper to fix. Uh, and maybe I can fix some of the things myself, right? I mean, with these quality indexes, you, you also don't get an idea of what breaks, what's breaking. Um, you know, and they have these goofy categories like, oh, this is a catastrophic or this is a significant expense. And it's like, well, what do you mean by that? What is expense? You don't get to look under the hood of these quality indices. That's my point. Um, so, you know, my little, uh, maybe I have a bias for, uh, well, I mean, I guess I'm a Mopar guy, so I'm, I'm a Dodge guy, but, um, I think I've owned five, five Dodges, four, something like that. Anyway, um, so the last thing I want to talk about is electric cars. And the thing about electric cars is that, um, you know, they're new. And so there is this, um, this love for novelty, right. That a lot of people have. Um, but there's also this really interesting dynamic of the expense of these vehicles. Number one, they're just more expensive. 
um, because the technology is new and because, you know, lithium ion batteries are insanely expensive and also volatile. Uh, so therefore dangerous. Right. Um, and you know, what's so interesting is, you know, internal combustion engines like diesels and gasoline cars, you know, they need an, an infrastructure to support them, right? You have to be able to go to a gas station wherever you're at uh, to refill it. And it's the same thing with these electric cars, but of course, you know, their, their run times are uh, significantly shorter than, you know, the average internal combustion engine. And so, you know, you're, you're seeing these, uh, this infrastructure kind of get built out finally for these electric cars. But what's so interesting is I, I believe it was, uh, last year, the year before, you know, a really cold winter and all these people, these electric cars, like they were just getting stuck <laughs> because their car, uh, you know, it turns out when the battery gets really cold, it can't run as long. And so they, they thought they were going to get, you know, 60 miles, but they were only going to get actually 40 because it was so cold outside. So there's a lot of, you know, we're still learning, right? Um, and one of the things that's uh, that gets me about this stuff is this this idea that, you know, we're just, the, the battery technology is, is always going to be um, exponential. It's always going to improve. And, um, you know, we're just waiting for the next breakthrough. We're just waiting for it, right? Lithium ion is not quite good enough. We're just waiting for that next innovation. But see, the problem is that reality has to hit you at some point. Um, and it just turns out that gasoline and diesel fuel are really, really efficient and relatively safe ways of storing energy. And batteries are just not as efficient. First of all, you know, to, to make a lithium ion battery, you have to have all of these heavy metals. Um, you have to mine out of the ground. And, you know, the, a lot of them come from... Um, you know, the, the communist China and they are incredibly heavy and you have to move them across oceans, right? So you can manufacture the cars and they're kind of a disposal challenge, right? I mean, what do you do with a dead lithium ion battery that weighs 500 pounds? Uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what to do with that. Um, and they're, they're just not as efficient because it can't hold a lot of energy. And so, you know, yeah, we can talk all day long about, oh, you've got researchers that are looking for the, the newest battery technology. Well, another problem with batteries is the, the more energy you put in them sort of per cubic inch of, you know, size, the more volatile those batteries become, right? Lithium ion batteries will just like blow up on you. Uh, you have to be really careful with them. Um, like the, the, the battery in your, uh, little power drill that you have right at your house, you have to be careful with those batteries because they will, you know, they will pop on you and they're, they're very dangerous. Um, and so then it's, it's also an interesting component of this is just the cost of these batteries, right? It's okay. Yeah. They can, you know, you can talk all day long about a warranty, but here's the thing. Warranties aren't, um, a way for the companies to lose money, right? If they put a warranty on it, then they just put the price of the, you know, the warranty parts that they expect to pay in the car. Right. So it's like, Oh, I got a hundred thousand mile warranty on my Kia and I just got a new engine. And it's like, well, yeah, I mean, you just paid for that. You paid for that new engine, you know, when you bought the car. So, I mean, come on, like you, you can't get, there's nothing you're getting free with a warranty. So I, I found an article that said that, uh, the replacement battery for a Nissan leaf, just tiny little electric car, you know, not, not a whole ton of money. Um, and it's like a, basically a little go-kart, 
to have the battery replaced. That's unreal. $15,000. Um, you know, I mean, I don't even know if the car costs that much when you buy it. I mean, maybe it's more than that, but good grief. $15,000 is, is a psychotic amount of money to pay for this tiny little car. Um, so, you know, we get, we get to this thing right again, where, where we're now we're like catalytic converters, but on steroids, right? You know, paying a thousand dollars to have somebody replace the catalytic converters in your, uh, you know, in your 2015, uh, you know, I don't know, um, Ford focus or whatever, you know, that sucks, but Hey, 15 grand for a battery on your Nissan leaf. Yikes. Um, so here's another component of these electric cars, right? So the thing about electric cars is they're very simple in their design, right? So, um, on your gasoline engine or diesel engine car, um, you have something called an alternator and what it is basically it's a generator. It takes mechanical energy and turns it into electrical energy and it recharges your battery. Um, and I don't want to get into how internal combustion engines work, but you need that. Uh, but here's the thing, right? An electric, a purely electric car is just that it's just a much bigger version of that alternator, uh, in reverse, right? It takes electric energy and it turns it into mechanical energy. And, um, you know, that's a pretty simple thing, right? We've had, you know, electric motors for a very, very long time. And the thing about them is, is number one, they are very simple, but number two, they are also not user serviceable, right? Most people these days, do not rewind their own uh, alternators. If you have to replace an alternator on a vehicle, you either have it rewound for you, right? You have it rebuilt. I mean, you have to replace bearings and other stuff too, but you have it rebuilt or you go buy a rebuilt one or you go buy a new one, right? This is not a user serviceable part. This is not uh, like changing oil or, uh, you know, shampooing the carpets or changing a tire Oh, well, heck, I mean, you don't even change your own tires these days. Um, but, but there is no, this, it's not a user serviceable thing. So these electric cars, what's really interesting is um, not only in the repair of them, but in the manufacture of these things, we will see a, a if, we, if we get to the point where, um, and thankfully, you know, the Trump administration is pushing us away from this eventuality uh, with some recent EPA reg uh, changes, but... But if, if we get to the point where we're being pushed into, um, you know, using electric cars, then what's going to happen is we're going to have a massive um, sort of tech-induced uh, unemployment problem in car manufacturing, which we do a lot of in the U.S., and um, or at least we do the assembly here, you know. Um, car manufacturing and assembly and repair. Right. I mean, there's gobs of jobs for these people. Right. And we're going to lose them because these electric cars are simpler, but they are not user serviceable almost at all. And the manufacture of these vehicles is much, much simpler. So all of that together says you're going to basically just have robots doing everything. Um, and, you know, a few people, you know, rewinding these motors and that's it. So, um, I, you know, kind of an interesting consideration here, right? It kind of tests your commitment to, okay, well, am I worried about jobs? Am I worried about, uh, you know, people being able to maintain a family? Am I worried about technology, you know, at least in the short run, um, causing a lot of problems for people? Um, or am I worried about, you know, 
particular matter, uh, you know, PM 2.5 that may or may not actually hurt anybody all that badly. Uh, it's, it's not cut and dried in my mind, certainly not cut and dried. So I hope this has been a form informative. It's just kind of me just dumping all of the things that have been in my head about cars for the last five years or so, um, into this one, uh, I don't know, 40 minute episode. So, uh, anyway, if you're uh, so inclined, uh, you know, please hit us up on, uh, hit me up on Twitter or Facebook, uh, you know, at trad dads, um, with any questions or suggestions, if you go to the anchor app, you can leave a message for me. Um, and I'll get to that, uh, YouTube comments. You can leave a message there. If you'd like to support the show financially, uh, hit me up on, uh, anchor. There's a, uh, there's a, a support button on there should be on your podcast app. Um, or if you want to just switch from listening on YouTube just to listening on the podcast platform, there's a little ad that runs that that uh, puts a little bit of change in my pocket. So uh, thanks for your support, and please let me know uh, if you have requests for episodes. Uh, I've got a lot of stuff coming, but I'm always happy to have uh, requests. So thanks for your time. Thanks for listening to the Trad Dads podcast. If you enjoyed our show, please subscribe on your favorite podcast app and consider giving us a five-star rating on iTunes. It really helps us out.